Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I am a CPA, CFP professional and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com, and you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org, as well as on many streaming services and the WDIY app. Today is January 24th, 2024. The markets were mixed today with the Dow closing down at 37,806, the NASDAQ up at 15,481, and the S&P up at 4,868. As Peter mentioned tonight, I am talking about getting ready for tax preparation. I, I would have said tax season, but that's me who has to get ready for tax season. You just have to get ready for tax preparation. Uh, we are live tonight. We will take your questions. Cindy, Cindy is in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information. We ask you to mute your radio so you can hear me without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic. I'll do my best to answer. Phone number is 610-758-8810. And you can talk live on air. Or if you're not comfortable talking live on air, just give your question to Cindy. She'll write it out and bring it in to me. And you can always submit questions through yourfinancialchoices.com. Again, tonight we're talking about getting ready for tax preparation. Yes, the uh, IRS is opening up the filing season soon, I think in a few days. Um, I should have written down that date. I just take it for granted. And quite often people don't have all their information yet anyway that that should be arriving in your mailboxes. So one of the things that you can certainly do in starting to get ready for tax preparation is set up a folder or a box where you can put all those envelopes that you may be getting in the mail marked important tax information and closed, uh, start gathering those. And that is a lawful requirement, an IRS requirement that if someone is sending you tax information, it has to be identified on the outside of the envelope. So you have no excuse that you threw it away thinking it was junk mail. It should say important tax information enclosed on the outside of the envelope. I also want to remind people that if you have signed up for electronic delivery versus paper, then your tax documents may have to be retrieved online and they're not going to come in your mailbox with that important stamp. You will have to log into your accounts and typically there's a tab that might say documents or tax documents or you'll get an email alerting you that there would be a tax document on whatever portal you may be using for that uh, custodian or vendor or you know, provider. So remember, if you have elected paperless 
statements and or paperless documents, you may have to retrieve it yourself. So very important to remember that. I've had uh, people in the past who, you know, think they're getting their tax documents all in their mailbox and not necessarily so. So important tax information and clothes coming in your mailbox or retrievable on whatever website you may have signed up for um, electronic delivery. So those are just a couple of the little things we're going to talk about tonight in in getting ready for tax preparation. Um, What I want to go through first is why getting ready is so important. (laughs) Because if you're motivated, then you're hopefully going to put everything together in the proper way so that you can file what I call a complete and accurate return. That is lingo we use often. You need to file a complete and accurate return. So let's talk about why we want to do that. Well, uh, the why is you want to avoid IRS letters Um, uh, you want to avoid potential audits. Uh, Audits can be a paper, meaning a paper, like a letter audit, meaning the IRS sends you a letter asking you about a particular activity on your tax return. They could send you a letter saying that there's discrepancies. So you can get a couple different kinds of letters from the IRS. There's always a code up at the right hand corner telling you what kind of uh, letter the IRS is sending you. And if you look up the code, it'll tell you what it is. Um, so you want to avoid letters, avoid audits, avoid penalties and interest for underreporting. If you are too hasty in filing your tax return and you haven't waited for all of your documents or you forgot about some documents, uh, then you could end up getting a letter saying you underreported or you owe more money. And if you owe more money, there may be penalties and interest depending on what transpired. Another reason to get ready and put all your information together uh, in a in a thorough way is because you will also save money on the tax preparation time if you are hiring a CPA or an accountant or an enrolled agent or someone to prepare the tax return for you, a paid tax preparer. Quite often they get paid by the hour or the complexity and you want to make it as easy and smooth and efficient as you can. It will save you Uh, time in hopefully the preparation. Getting ready also helps you understand taxes better for yourself, which in turn will help you with tax planning in the future. I like people to be engaged with this whole process, not be stressed out about it, make it fun, make it interesting, be curious about it, like kind of solving a crossword puzzle or a word find or something like that. Make it a game, make it fun. Um, And of course, filing, um, getting all that information together also will help uncover things a little bit earlier. For example, you put all your stuff together and you realize maybe you qualify to fund a Roth IRA or an IRA and the IRS gives us until April 15th of the following year to fund those. So sometimes getting things done early helps you uh, do some additional planning or you might find out that you made too much money and you don't qualify 
to fund the Roth IRA or the IRA. And the IRS gives us until April 15th of the following year to correct it. So if you made too much money in 2023, if you're not timely with getting your information together and filing your tax return, you might not realize you didn't qualify for, let's say, a Roth IRA, um, then you might not be able to correct it timely. The IRS does give us until the the due date of the tax return uh, to correct it. So if you weren't allowed to do it, you can take it out. It's different than a conversion. You can't change conversions. But if you uh, made a regular IRA or Roth IRA contribution and you're not allowed to, you can still correct it. And sometimes you end up finding out maybe you over contributed to a 401k. If you had two jobs, you have to be careful of that. If you went over the IRS limits because you worked two different jobs and maybe maxed out the 401k both places or maxed it out at one and did some extra at your new job, you have to withdraw the excess contribution. And you can also correct that quickly by April 15th so that when you're filing your tax return, you kind of have that corrected. So lots of reasons to start this preparation process a little early. Um, particularly, again, to file a complete and accurate return to avoid um, penalties and interest on improper reporting, either overstating deductions or understating income. So when we um, go through this, I'm going to talk about some of those penalties and interest and why and what it means and maybe how you can mitigate some of them if you are subject to them. If you've ever had a letter before, people tend to panic. I always tell people don't worry until I tell you to worry. But let's talk about it before it happens so that we can kind of mitigate some of those circumstances. And then I'm going to go through a, a kind of a checklist to talk about some of the items you need to pay attention to when getting your tax preparation ready and some ways to um, do that and make it easier for yourself. If you have questions, uh, you can call and talk to us live on air. Or if you're not comfortable talking live, you can give your question to Cindy by calling 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100 extension 4 or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. It's a rainy, yucky night, so I hope uh, you're all driving carefully out there. Appreciate you listening. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810, and you can talk live on air with us or give your question to Cindy, and she'll write it down and bring it in. We were talking about getting ready for tax preparation. Let's talk about um, the reasons we want to file a complete and accurate return, not just because we should, um, but there's incentives to file a complete and accurate return. <laughs> Those incentives are avoided penalties and interest. So um, th an another reason is to um, 
remember I said you also kind of want to have your stuff together because the more efficient you are and the more you have your um, tax documents together, the time you're going to save on any tax preparation cost you may incur if you're using an outside preparer. If you're preparing the tax return yourself on software, the more organized you are, the less time it will also take for you and the less aggravation. So um, tax preparation fees are typically either by form or by complexity, by hour. So if you have a 1040 and it's pretty straightforward, that might be a flat fee or based on the time the preparer takes, or they may charge additional fees for like a Schedule C self-employed income, Schedule E rental property, um, Schedule D for capital gains and losses. So, you know, the easier you can have everything together, it might save some time. If it's based on the form, it may or may not make a difference except that there's could be an additional cost for each form that the preparer has to do. All right. So, um, before I get into the penalties, the benefits of gathering your information, again, saving time, early identification of uh, missing information, and uh, planning opportunities. So let's talk about some of the uh, overview of the penalties and interest. And this is from the IRS's website, irs.gov. Lots of information there. Uh, taxpayers who don't meet their tax obligations may owe a penalty. The IRS charges a penalty for various reasons, including if you don't, don't. If you don't file your tax return on time, I want to talk about that particularly, very important. So they could charge penalties and interest if you don't file your tax return on time, if you don't pay any tax you owe on time and in the right way, if you don't prepare an accurate return, if you don't provide accurate and timely filed information returns, and they could charge interest on those penalties as well if you don't pay the penalties in full. And they could assess this like on a monthly basis. Understand the different types of penalties, what you need to do if you get a penalty and how to avoid getting one. Um, how do you know if you're going to have a penalty? They're going to send you a letter and that notice by mail. I always say, you know, just be extra careful and make sure that it's like a valid IRS letter. There's various ways to check that. I always check for the um, the letter code, uh, what they're saying the problem is. It's up in the right-hand corner, as I mentioned. I check the phone number. I make sure it seems, you know, legitimate and everything. I always worry about scammers, but generally these are legitimate. And the IRS does not call you and they do not email you. They always send a letter if there's a, a problem. So the notice or letter will tell you about the penalty, the reason for the charge and what to do next. And the notices and letters do include an identification number. Verify the information in your notice or letter to see if it's correct. If you can resolve the issue in your notice or letter, a penalty may not apply. So I do want to um, talk about a couple things that I mentioned here. One thing is just because you get a letter doesn't mean the IRS is right. Okay, so I had a gentleman and I've used this example before, but it's very relevant. I had a gentleman who received a notice from the IRS and he owed said he owed thousands of th dollars, thousands of dollars, and he paid it because he was so nervous he paid it. And I said, well, let me look at the notice. I need to see what this is. And when he showed me the notice, the IRS indicated to him that he had not reported sales on investments that he had sold. He did not report the sales. I said, oh, they're telling you, 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 you didn't report the sales. And he said, well, they were all losses. So I didn't think I had to report them because it was all at a loss. I said, oh, well, let's look at this more carefully. And this was back in the day when um, 
cost basis was not reported to the IRS. And there are still some investments that people have that the the custodian does not report to the IRS. So you need to still figure that out and put it on your tax return. So in his story, because he had a loss, he didn't think he had to report it. But the IRS's point of view was, and I'll give an example, let's say it was $100,000 of proceeds. They didn't have the cost basis. So what is the IRS's assumption if you don't put cost basis on your tax return or you didn't report the proceeds because you thought it was a loss, they don't know what the cost basis is. So they assumed it's a $100,000 gain because the IRS assumes a zero cost basis if you do not know it or do not reflect it. So they said he owed all these taxes on, and, and I'm making this number up at this point, a $100,000 gain. And as it turns out, his cost basis, let's pretend, was $110,000. So he actually had a $10,000 loss. So we had to file an amended return report the sales, show the cost basis, show that he had a loss, show that he paid this tax with the notice. He ended up getting that refunded plus a little extra because now he had a $10,000 loss instead of this huge gigantic gain that the IRS, you know, used with the records they had. So just because the IRS sends you a letter doesn't mean they're always right. You have to understand the circumstances, understand the situation, and investigate a little bit, dig into it a little bit. Um, there were times when the IRS would send a notice with not enough explanation. And um, I would write a letter to the IRS saying, you know, you need to provide more information. Same thing happened with the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue once. I had a client that they kept saying that he owed all this money and we couldn't figure it out. And I said, you have to explain why you think he owes this because you're not explaining to us. We don't know why you keep saying this. And you know what? I think we went back and forth three or four times and it, it went away. And I think they couldn't figure out why they were telling us that this person owed money when and in fact, you know, the, I, I knew they didn't. Um, so you have to be careful. You have to make sure you understand it. Um, the other thing I wanted to really point out here is if you're filing, let's say you know you're going to have to file a tax return, but you don't want to because you think you're going to owe and you don't have the money. So you just avoid it because you're overwhelmed, you're nervous, you're scared, you're anxious, you just can't deal with it, you can't face it. You know you're going to owe money, you don't have any money, so you're just not going to file. Not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. The IRS gives us some options. Number one, if you don't have the information to file the return on the due date, you can always ask for an extension. Now, to file for an extension is not an extension to pay. It's only an extension to file. But the penalties, when we talk about the different kinds of penalties that one may incur, there's a big penalty for failure to file. So you never want to have a failure to file if you actually can file, even if you don't owe. Because if you don't have enough money to pay, you can go into a um, system with the IRS, a payment plan, an installment plan with the IRS, they'll work with you. So we want to make sure that you file a return or file for an extension or file for, you know, installment or relief on the payment. We have a caller um, on air. We have Greg. Hi, Greg. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How can we help you? Yes. Um, I have a, I had a CD last year, a one-year CD, but it was a brokered um, one-year CD from Fidelity. Yep. And just this week, I received a 1099. Yep. 
in for the interest. No problem there. I understand that. But he also had a Part 1099B, as in broker. Yep. Which I am confused as heck. Okay. Because basically, I bought this CD online at issue for ten thousand. Mm-hmm. They held it to maturity. Yep. At the end, uh, you know, I got the interest and the ten thousand dollars back. It's a regular CD in my mind. Yep. yep. But that's not what it's showing. I mean, on the ten ninety nine brokerage, it just it's complicated. I mean, they got all this information. It says proceeds. For the, which the basis is not reported to the IRS. I have no idea. Is yeah. this something that needs to be on Schedule D to say I bought it for 10 I sold Correct. it for 10 and it has nothing, and just send it back to the 1040 is zero on that one? Correct. So, so you'll use the Schedule D, and because they reported the cost basis was not reported to the IRS, then there's, there's uh, supporting schedules to the Schedule D called Form 8949. And there's three for the short-term holdings, and there's three different ones for the long-term holdings. And for the, so if this was held less than a year, then you'll use one of the three forms for the short term. So it's the 8949, and I think it's like ABC. One is for, um, like, if the basis was reported to the IRS, they make it very simple. If the basis is not reported to the IRS, then you use one of the 8949s to say proceeds 10,000, cost basis 10,000, zero gain or loss. And then the zero carries forward to page one. But I don't know if you heard my story earlier. If you don't do it, then the IRS is going to assume the cost basis is zero. And they're going to think you had a $10,000 gain on that. That's why I thought I'd come in with my question now. So it's not Schedule D I'm filling out. It's Form 8949? You're filling out both because the 8949 is a supporting schedule to the Schedule D. So it's two, the, the Schedule D these days, it's changed several years ago. The Schedule D is now like a summary okay. form for the supporting schedules of the 8949. If, if they had reported it to the IRS and that was the only transaction you had, then yes, you could have just reported it on Schedule D because there's a, a top line on the Schedule D that says, oh, it's all reported to the IRS, 10 in, 10 out, zero. And you can just do the Schedule D. But because it was not reported, you have to do the supporting Schedule 8949. Because the basis was not reported to the IRS. Correct. Correct. So So it'll flow through to your Schedule D um, summary page. Yep. So i got to do the 8949, which carries over to To the the Schedule D. And goes, reports zero, and that gets to the, the 1040. Zero gain. Correct. Zero would go through. As long as you didn't have any other gains. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a pain. I know. (laughs) A person who just gets a normal CD to the bank doesn't have all this rigmarole. They don't because that's, you know, just bank reporting. So it's the, it's the brokerage side of business because Greg, you could have sold the CD in between times. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's why, because you could actually probably have a gain or a loss on a CD if, if, um, if you sold it in between. Yeah, but okay. Okay, but you held it to maturity, so it's 10 in and 10 out. Okay, so I'm going to need the 8949, which supports the, the, the Schedule uh, D. Schedule yep. D, which was okay. Yep. Okay, good luck. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, folks, so we're going to go to a break now. The phone number is 610 758 8810. We'll be back in just a moment. 
WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Did you know your phone is a radio? You can tune in to WDIY anywhere on the go with WDIY's phone app. Download for free from the Apple or Google Store and your phone will become your trusted radio. The easy-to-use app lets you listen to WDIY on your phone live and access your favorite music shows on demand. Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. We just had a a call from Greg come in, which is also another great example for why you want to look at your information um, early and ahead of time and make sure you understand what tax documents you have because that's a little surprise if all of a sudden you're doing a tax return and you want to do it like you know pencil it in yourself then all of a sudden it could get more complicated when you see a tax document come through like that in his case a 1099b Um, so just be aware of that it's always good to kind of know ahead and kind of watch and and prepare for what's happening. So looking at the penalties, I said, we want to make sure that even if you think you can't file or you're not ready to file, then you want to file for an extension because that is deemed to still be timely filed if you file for the extension. Uh, Don't assume you have till the extension date. You have to file for the extension by April 15th, which will give you till October 15th. So that's one thing. It is not an extension of time to pay. It's just an extension of time to file. But if you can't pay, then you would ask the IRS to work with you and set up some kind of installment. Um, So the penalties for not filing can be quite harsh. So you want to avoid that. So other types of um, penalties other than the ones that might come through on that letter, you know, make sure you understand it, don't automatically pay it. If you have a tax preparer, you say to your tax preparer, hey, I got this notice, can you please review it? And then your tax preparer, uh, who often will kind of have the details behind your tax return, might know if it seems valid or not. Like, oh, well, it's saying that you missed reporting a $10,000 distribution from an IRA. Um, I didn't have that in my tax file. Did you take a $10,000 distribution from an IRA? And the answer might be yes. And in that case, well, then now you owe the tax. Or the answer might be, well, I did take 10000 out, but I rolled it over to another IRA within the 60-day rule. Oh, well, the IRS doesn't know that. We have to tell the IRS you rolled it over, you know, that you put that 10000 back into an IRA. They don't know everything. So in that case, give me your documentation. We'll write a letter to the IRS. We'll say, oh, hey, yeah, the 10000 went out, but we rolled it over within 60 days. So you kind of have to explain sometimes. So sometimes the letter is just like a little FYI alert, you know, let's reconcile this. Don't think of the IRS as the bad guy all the time. Now, other kinds of penalties, um, some other penalties they send notices and letters about. Information returns applies to taxpayers who don't file or furnish their required information return or payee statement. Like someone could get in trouble if they don't file a 1099 for a contractor or a W two for an employee. There's failure to file penalties. I talked about that. Failure to pay penalties when you don't pay the tax you owe by the due date. Accuracy related penalties. Boy, if you if you're off like 25%, you, you, you're talking 
big, big penalties. Um, they apply when you don't claim all your income or when you claim deductions, um, that kind of thing. Erroneous claim for refund, failure to deposit, like employment taxes, that's a bad one. Tax preparer penalties. This is why tax preparers have to become so paranoid these days. We ask a million questions of our of our clients, and it's because the tax preparer penalties can be so high if we're not doing our due diligence asking questions. Dishonored checks, you know, these are all the things we want to avoid. And you can dispute penalties. As I mentioned earlier, if you get that letter, you can either do it by writing to them or calling them. Calling them is can take forever. So you usually we write letters. I like the documentation. Um, you usually have to have the notice or provide the notice or letter. Like if you're calling, you want to give them the number on the letter. But if you're mailing it, I always mail a copy of the notice to them. Um, talk about the penalty if you need to reconsider it and explain why you think it's not um, apply to you. So I'll give you another example. We had a client who had to file an information return. They didn't realize the importance of this. There was no tax due. They kind of sat on it a little bit, filed it a little bit late. Again, no tax due. Usually penalties are based on tax due. Well, there's certain returns that the IRS doesn't care if there's tax due. It's because it's an information return. They do charge a penalty and the penalties were so, so, so significant. But it was the first time the client had to do it and they didn't realize it. So we've written a letter to the IRS saying, hey, just a, a mistake. It's only this person. It only applies to this person. Can you please abate the penalty give them a pass. And quite often the IRS, again, fairly reasonable in my dealings with them. If you're reasonable, they'll be reasonable. And, you know, we haven't heard back, but I'm sure they're going to probably let us go. Um, Charles from Schnecksville, I will answer your question when I come back from the break. We've got uh, 20 seconds to the next break. And when we come back, I'll make sure I answer it. The phone number is 610-758-8810. If you have questions this evening, you can talk live on air with me or do as Charles did, call and give the question to Cindy and she'll write it down and bring it in. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back to the show. And Charles, I'll answer your question in a moment. I have a caller on the line. We have Nancy. Nancy, hi, this is Lori. How can I help you? Hi. Um, I like the free software on the IRS um, website, mm -hmm. and I used it last year. However, there was no place to put my qualified charitable distribution total um, from my IRA mm -hmm. to show why, you know, that the number might be different than what they would see. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if I should expect a letter mm. from the IRS. Mm. And then I, this year, I'm wondering if I should file on paper. Mm. So my so question would be, and I'll just give an example of a number. So let's pretend your IRA distribution on the 1099R, which always reports the gross amount, is $10,000. And let's pretend the qualified charitable distribution was 2000 So in the software you did online free with the IRS, did you enter 8000 
Yes. Okay. So you may get a letter, but that's fairly easy to rectify then. And you might not get that letter. Usually they would have already sent it by now, but you might still get it like, let's say this year. So you, that's easy. You would just tell them, oh, that was a qualified charitable distribution. There was nowhere to put it on your free software. Here's the receipt. I can prove I did $2,000 out of my 10,000 and send it back to them. And that should probably take care of it. Keep copies of whatever correspondence you send them. So that's one way to take care of that. I am not aware of the free software um, limitations, but generally, Nancy, it'll say who can use the free software or not, depending on the circumstances. If if it didn't say that you couldn't do it, um, uh, I'm just wondering if there was something in there that you might not have seen. So for example, when you enter the 1099R information, there's the gross distribution and then the taxable amount. So did you, in my story, if it was 10,000 and then 2,000 QCD, did you enter 10,000 as the gross and 8,000 as the taxable? I don't remember that. Okay. Exactly. So that could be one way the IRS may assume it was a QCD, but if the if if you can't tell that the software allows you to enter the QCD cuz ordinarily in my software QCD is actually written on the front page of the tax return. So yeah. if there's a box that you didn't see on the free software, that could be it or the free software just doesn't accommodate that. So no, if they don't have no place to enter. Yeah. Sometimes there's different free softwares available on the if you go through the IRS website, at least it used to be where they would have different providers. And yeah. so you might find one of the free softwares that does accommodate it. So you might well, have to poke it. to tell because you have to start filing, you know, the form. Yeah. You have to start filling in the form yeah. before you can yeah. find out. Yeah. Um, well, you know that there are a number of organizations like uh, around that help see, I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming if you ha can do a QCD, you're over age 70 and a half. So yeah. they're, like the AARP, I think, has um, tax services in the area, and they actually have a link um, if you go, if you have a computer and you can go online because you're filing your tax return, you could go online and search AARP Tax Preparation Services Lehigh Valley and it will pop up and you could always go um, to one of their sites. They are throughout the, the Lehigh Valley somewhere and get free tax preparation by like a volunteer. Well, I can, I can do it myself. In fact, I could probably be a volunteer <laughs> uh, just, it just should I file on Kate? Because what I'm worried about, if they question it, I'll have to Xerox all of the thank you letters. It's really the only um, kind of documentation I have is I save all the hard copy thank you letters after I make the, you know, and there might be 25 or 30 charities I'm giving to. Well, if you do it through your IRA, then the custodian may have kept track of that for you and you may be able to just like print out the the list from the custodial website of the IRA. Oh, that's what I would try to do. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, I noticed though for last year they I did some early in the year, like January, February, and uh -huh. then I do most of them at the end of the year. I couldn't see or find the ones earlier in the year at all. Oh. And I only knew because I had I keep a, a, a spreadsheet. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and go to year to year and, you know, give to the same yeah. charity sort of very few of them. Yeah, I would try to do it still electronically. The issue with papers is what some people don't realize is the interrelated calculations, the circular calculations on taxable social security and or qualified dividend tax rates or capital gains tax rates. It can get quite complicated working through some of those calculations when you're doing it by hand if if those apply to you. Um, so I do prefer online, but I would I would even Google um, free tax software, IRS, QCD, and maybe something will pop up. So just dig a little bit more. You have time. I would check oh, to see if you could find one of them that does allow it. Um, yeah. Or, you know, because it would be easier to do it electronically, especially if you get refunds. It, it goes so much faster. And they catch yeah. mistakes that way, too. Standard deductions, yeah. extra deductions, that kind of thing. So, Nancy, thank you for calling. Good luck. But I okay, think you can, you. Uh, yeah, I think you can resolve it if you do get a letter. At least you know you have backup for it, okay? Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Have a good one. Okay. Thank, you. Right, thank you. Bye. Um, and Charles from Schnecksville, you had asked, you're in the process of selling a subdivided lot, and you did some uh, cost of surveying and testing, et cetera, which occurred in 2023, but the sale will be in 2024. Is there anything you need to do in 2023 taxes or wait till um, the sale completes? So, um, Charles, a couple things. One, cost for like the surveying and... Um, I uh, you know, whatever goes into that for the subdivision that you can capitalize, we call it capitalizing those expenses, you add it to the cost basis. So if you had the lot that you paid $5,000 for 20 years ago, and now you've had $4,000 of surveying, etc, you capitalize that it goes into the cost basis of the land. The other thing I want to point out is there's a year by year election you can make to capitalize the real estate taxes if you have not done that in prior years. For 2023, you could, uh, if it's undeveloped land, you could capitalize the real estate taxes because you're probably not getting in. Uh, Schedule A itemized deduction for it. So let's pretend your real estate taxes for 2023 were, you know, $2,000. You can elect to capitalize those real estate um, costs into the value, the cost basis of the property, and that will lower your gain as well. Now, if you didn't make that election in prior years and all the prior years, well, then I think you've lost your chance. It is a year by year election. For people who have undeveloped land, you can elect to capitalize the real estate taxes into the cost basis of the property. And the reason people would do that is because we're really not benefiting from itemizing uh, Schedule A deductions are capped at $10,000 on state and local taxes and real estate taxes. So if we're not getting a benefit from it, we can elect to capitalize, again, undeveloped land. So for 2023, that would be something you might want to think about doing with your tax return for 2023, making the election to capitalize the real estate taxes that will add to the cost basis. And then when you go to sell in 2024, you will have the cost of the surveying and subdividing and legal cost or whatever capitalized along with maybe some of the real estate taxes could help a little bit. So Charles, I hope that helped you. Um, always, you know, contact a uh, uh, you know, your, your tax preparer as well. But that's something you really want to think about. Um, so 
great questions tonight. I really love the questions. And if you have any, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can also send questions through the website, yourfinancialchoices.com. During the upcoming tax season, I will be doing frequent shows talking about taxes. Um, I have guests scheduled for the next couple of weeks, but as we get into the thick of tax season, I will certainly do more shows. But if you have questions, I would love to hear what they are because, uh, and you could send them through yourfinancialchoices.com because if you have a question, chances are other listeners have that question too. And I could do a whole show of just tax questions. All right. So we've talked about in prepping for tax preparation for yourself. We've talked about the importance of filing a complete and accurate return, avoiding penalties, avoiding interest, make sure you file timely or file for an extension. If you can't make payments, enter into an installment agreement with the IRS. Now let's talk about getting your stuff together uh, and making sure you understand. I said at the top of the show, you're looking for those envelopes that are stamped important tax information and closed. Uh, I want to point something out. This may not apply to very many of you, but I certainly want to point it out for anybody who might be a beneficiary of a, a trust or an estate, they they could be filing a fiscal year. Same thing with like an S corporation or a partnership. We don't see that as often anymore. But, but whenever there's an entity that files a fiscal year, you will get a, a flow through uh, tax reporting document called a K-1. That K-1 follows the fiscal year end. So if the fiscal year end, I, I just mailed out a tax return today that was an estate that was a 2022 tax return but the beneficiaries report the income from the k1 or in this case deductions from the k1 on their 2023 tax return it's because the fiscal year started in 2022 and ended in 2023 so i wrote a little note to each of them 2023 2023 2023 tax info enclosed because when they get the k1 there it says you know here's your 2022 k1 well it is a 2022 k1 because the initial fiscal year started in 2022, but it's reported in 2023. So be aware of little nuances like that. If you are a beneficiary of any kind of an estate or a trust, you want to make sure you're asking either the executor or the trustee or the attorney, um, whoever's in charge of, you know, administering it, is there a K-1 that you have to uh, report on your tax return? Because surprise, surprise, you could file your tax return February 10th, and then all of a sudden you get a K-1 on April 15th. And it's like, whoops, now you have to file an amended return. So make sure you stay on top of that if you're notified or know that you are a beneficiary of anything. Uh, because executive, by the way, estates and trust have there's a special rule, a 65 day rule that after the year end, they have 65 days to make a distribution and count it as the prior year. So you could still get a, a K-1, even though you didn't get a distribution in 2023. If they cut your check next month, you could still get a K-1 for 2023. So watch out for that. Other documents you're going to want to make sure that you're gathering and look at them to try to understand what those documents are telling you. Very important. I love when a W-2 comes and it has all these letters on it. And what most people don't look at is on the back of the W-2 is the description of all those letters. And it's got, it's chock full of information. You might have a code D, you might have a code DD, you might have a code E, you might have a code, um, what I'll see, you know, 
try to understand what those codes mean because it could certainly inform you in some planning opportunities that may be available to you. So look for your W-2. Were you unemployed at any time during the year? Sometimes people are unemployed in January and February. Then they get a job and they completely forget that they had unemployment income, sometimes with no withholding. So you don't want that little surprise. So watch out for Form W-2, um, 1099s for unemployment. Those are reported on a 1099-G, G for government, just like a state tax refund. Sometimes you'll get that state tax refund tax document, that 1099-G, and it'll say that um, you've got a refund of you know $500 from the state, and you'll think it's taxable income, but it might not be because state refunds are only income taxable to you if you got a benefit from deducting it in the prior year. So if in 2023, you get a 1099 G saying you had a $500 refund from, you know, Pennsylvania, if you didn't itemize in 2022, then you never received a benefit from that deduction. Therefore, the refund they sent you in 2023 for your 2022 tax return is not income taxable. So you want to watch out for these things. It's not just about gathering the documents. It's about understanding them a little bit. When we come back from this next break, I'll try to get through this checklist. Um, I'm so excited to take all the calls and talk about avoiding penalties and interest that I'm running a little behind. The phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition, Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. We're talking about getting ready for tax preparation. Uh, questions can also be sent through the website, yourfinancialchoices.com. And I don't hound you. I don't keep your information. I just reply to your questions um, if you have them and possibly, you know, could use them on the show in future uh podcast here, but I don't disclose, you know, personal information um, ever. So some of the information you're going to get together, if you're employed, you want your tax documents. If you're self-employed, of course, you have your receipts. And frankly, you should have had that all during the year. If you're running a business, you should be keeping track of your income and your expenses. I'm, I'm always flabbergasted when someone takes 10 months to give me their information from the prior year. Um, it, it really should be done timely um, and and easy to track. You should be tracking that if you're in business. That's how, you know, you, you keep on top of things. If you are self-employed, you may be getting tax documents that might be 1099 MISS. That's the old, MISS as in miscellaneous. That's the old document they used to use. Typically now what we're seeing is 1099 NEC for non-employee compensation, and that would be reported as gross revenue. What you want to watch out for here is occasionally if you're doing contract work for 
you know, outsiders, let's pretend you charge them $10,000 and you also charge them for your travel expenses of a thousand. You have to watch to see if they're going to report the 1099 is 11,000 or 10,000. So I tell clients, you got, you want to track these and trace them because if they accidentally pay you, you know, say they paid you $11,000 and a thousand of it was for your travel reimbursement, then you're going to take a thousand dollar travel expense on your schedule C. If you, um, if they gave you $11,000 and you had $1,000 of expenses and they only report the 10000 then you do not report the travel expenses. So that's the kind of the tracing that you have to keep track of. You might say, well, how would the IRS know? Well, the IRS might not know if you've tracked that properly or not. But if you're ever audited, they certainly will ask you for your bank statements, for all of your information, for you know, sometimes they ask for receipts and expense reports. So please keep track of that, particularly if you are self-employed and you have business mileage, you're supposed to keep contemporaneous records. It's so easy to do that nowadays with many of the apps that are available on your phone. Another um, way I tell clients they can track it is to have a calendar, keep their calendar, show all their meetings and show how many miles they drove. If you go to the same place all the time, print it out on Zillow, record it on your calendar. That is contemporaneous records where you're keeping track of how many miles you're driving. If you have rental property, you should have rental income that you're reporting. The IRS, if they audit you, will ask for the lease agreement. So you want to make sure that you have lease agreements if you're renting out, um, you know, a house or an apartment building or whatever it might be, have lease agreements, the terms, uh, keep your bank account clean for that, meaning uh, don't deposit the rent into your regular bank account where you're also depositing, you know, your wages from your other job, because the IRS might say all of that could be rental income. Um, try to run your business and or your rental properties through one account that's clean, that um, if you ever have to present bank statements or records, it's, it's easier to do it. Don't commingle those kinds of funds. Uh, retirement income, you'll, you would have a 1099R. IRA distributions, 1099R. Annuity income, 1099R. I like to think of the R as kind of like retirement. And watch out for those. Maybe you're new to a pension. Maybe you're new to an IRA distribution. You have to watch for those. Uh, particularly, too, if you're like a beneficiary of an IRA, you might not be used to it. Maybe it's the first year you want to make sure that you're watching out for those documents. A lot of the 1099 R's I see are already out. Those, you know, the brokerage 1099s, the consolidated statements, when you have brokerage accounts, those take longer. Usually if you have like mutual funds, because the mutual fund companies have to kind of like reconcile their books and kind of clean up the dividends and capital gain distributions. Uh, those sometimes take a little longer. And rather than constantly correcting those 1099s, the IRS now allows them to take a little longer to get those out to you. Um, so consolidated 1099s of brokerage accounts may take longer. And the consolidated statement, when I say that, means 1099-INT, 1099-DIV, 1099-B, uh, sometimes 1099-MISS, that 
would be reported on a, a brokerage statement, um, tax documents, IRA, social security might be the first year you have social security. You want to make sure you have that. Um, savings accounts, 1099 INT for interest, 1099 div. If you have like individual securities, you're going to get a 1099 div from, you know, the, the, uh, the agent of the, of the stock that you're holding. There's something called OID, original issue discount. If you, you know, bought bonds in between dates. Um, if you sell stock, that's the 1099B that we talked about earlier. Um, Charles from Snacksville said he's going to sell some land that could be reported on a 1099S as in Sam. Um, when you're selling um, a principal residence, you may or may not get a 1099-S. If you do get a 1099-S, then you need to let the IRS know if the um, principal residence exclusion applies to you. And so you still may have to report it on your tax return, but you wouldn't show if the principal residence exclusion applies and covers the gain, then you wouldn't have to show a gain or a loss. We can't take a loss on, on personal property. But... Um, you still might have to report it. If at the time you go to sell a principal residence, they're going to ask you questions. If you lived and owned in the property two out of five years, and if the selling price is within a certain range, they may not even issue a 1099S. And if they don't issue it, and you know that you qualify for the exclusion, lived and owned two out of five years, a single $250,000 exemption, married filing joint, lived and owned at two out of five years, $500,000 exemption. Um, you might not have to report it at all. Other income you might see, uh, W2G uh, for gambling winnings. Some people think their gambling losses offset gambling winnings. Uh, not the case for federal purposes. I think Pennsylvania still allows it, but not um, to exceed the income of for federal purposes, we don't get miscellaneous itemized deductions anymore. So you have to report the gains, but you don't get to take any of the deductions. Things like jury duty, you know, I have clients who say, oh, I got 26 bucks for jury duty. Um, do I put that down? And, you know, usually $26 wouldn't even calculate to a dollar of tax probably. But, you know, I put it in to show that, you know, my client's being diligent. Um, and I just had a flashback, guys, because I think I had jury duty last year and completely forgot about, I think I got $9 or $13, but it won't move the needle on my tax return. So um, let's see what else. Oh, here's a really important thing. Make sure you understand your estimated taxes if you paid them. If you made estimated tax payments, make sure that if, especially if you're working with a um, a tax preparer, that you give them that information because they may have prepared and printed vouchers for you to pay quarterly estimates uh, to the IRS. It's a pay-as-you-go system. And we can't assume you made them. Um, and sometimes the software will automatically carry those forward as if you did. Um, we, we, you know, took that feature away many years ago because it would carry forward in our software saying that the client made the estimates because we told them to. And then we'd find out they didn't. And so you never want to reflect, uh, you know, that a client made more payments than they did because uh, then you can get in trouble for claiming like refunds you're not entitled to. So make sure you record your estimated payments uh, for federal and for state. And quite often I'll have clients tell me about, let's say we're doing 2023 tax preparation. They'll say, well, I paid this one in January. I paid this one in April and June 
and September. Well, the January payment is always for the previous year. So if you made a January 15th quarterly payment in 2024, it's for 2023. So make sure that um, you record those properly. The reason the fourth quarter is due January 15th of the next year is because if if all of a sudden you have your numbers for December 31st and there was a huge capital gain, let's say, that was passed out on December 31st and now you're going to owe even more money, the fourth quarter not being due until April uh, January 15th gives us a little time to like adjust it. And I also have clients who we find out at the end of the year, their income was way lower than we had projected because they lost their job or they didn't have big capital gains that we thought they were going to have. And now their tax liability is much lower than where we had projected. So we'll tell them, don't do your fourth quarter payment. So it's really important to make sure that you kind of know which uh, payments apply to which tax year and that you notify your tax preparer. Quite often, um, as far as deductions go, we're not seeing people itemize as much because the standard deduction is so high for married filing joint. Uh, the standard deduction is 27700 for 2023, and you get some extra if you're 65 or older. Uh, if you're single, it's 13850 and again, you get some extra if you're um, uh, 65 or older. I think uh, it's $1,500 for single people, and uh, let's see, is it 1850, I think, for married filing joint, something like that, or the vice versa. But standard deduction so high, many people aren't itemizing. So don't necessarily worry and get overwhelmed by collecting homo, um, uh, medical expenses or real estate taxes, or even maybe your mortgage interest if you don't think you're going to be over the standard deduction. I would only go through that exercise if I thought my deductions were going to be so high that I would be over the standard deduction. Don't don't get stressed out about it. Some people still try to give all that to us and we haven't itemized for years. You can use your prior year tax return as a guide in determining what you need to gather for your 2023 tax return. So pull out your 2022 tax return or if you work with a tax preparer, they may send you an organizer, which will reflect all your prior year information. If you have tax documents to support the numbers, you don't need to enter, you know, all of those numbers because your tax preparer is going to use not what you write down. They're going to use the actual tax documents to, to input the information into the tax return. Where we need the organizer is to gather the information that isn't on a tax reporting document. That's typically for someone who has a business or the rental properties. So those organizers are really nice for that because you can write in the numbers uh, and you don't have to give all the receipts to the tax preparer. Never, ever, ever give a shoebox of receipts to your tax preparer ever. That's your job to go through that. If you want to run a business and act like you're a business person or run rental properties, you need to make sure you're you know, taking responsibility for uh, accumulating all of that information in a proper kind of bookkeeping system or Excel spreadsheet or whatever it might be. Um, don't pay a tax preparer to go through your receipts. It's just, it's too overwhelming. Um, 
All right. So I think I, I covered a number of things. I'll, I will mention there are some information filings that come out after tax season. We often get calls from people in the summer saying, Lori, I, I just got a tax form 5498. Uh, do I have to amend my tax return? No. The form 5498 is one of those informational filings that um, just gives the IRA balances to the IRS. So that's important. Another one other item I wanted to make sure I mentioned was if there's foreign income reporting, foreign bank accounts, Lots of restrictions and and complications around that. Make sure you tell your tax preparer to see if you're um, required to do any reporting. Huge penalties on that if you don't. And there's also a special form that has to get filed um, if you are a recipient of a foreign trust or foreign estate. If you get more than, I think it's $100,000, you need to make sure that you uh, file a form. I think it's a 3250. I'm going off on memory on that. So if you're the beneficiary of a foreign trust or estate, you have to report it if it's over $100,000. Uh, folks, that wraps up things. Next week, I'm going to have Rob Ziobro from our office talk about cybersecurity. Very important for the upcoming tax season and protecting yourself. Thank you, Cindy, for being here. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, callers tonight. I really appreciate it, listeners. Coming up next, we have Tom Druckenmiller with In Tradition Folk Music. Remember, be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices and have a great week.